Attention all passengers, public infrastructure is dead due to the ongoing popularity and perpetuation of Uber culture. We ask that you please leave the station. Don't get on the train, don't ride the trains, leave the trains where they are to rot. All right. Hi there, people. Welcome to the Nicholas Comics Q&A. That was Chumbawamba with Amnesia. Very solid jam. I enjoy the concept of a song about short-term memory loss or long-term memory loss or whatever the case may be. Fascinating concept for a song. That said, I don't know if we'll have Kippy on this week, but maybe next week. He seems to be offline at the moment. Um, I know this whole season had been like, you know... It's just been, it's just been a whole thing, you know. I, I want to discuss has been hotel with Kippy, but he seems to be rather aloof, uh, you know. And I just find, I just find arguments with him so, so gosh darn interesting because, like, for one, it's the most basic opinions on things, like the most milk toast populist uh, type opinions. Um, like for instance, about about two months back. There's this thing where, like, Quentin Reviews, you know Quentin Reviews, is behind the uh, video series where he watches all of the iCarly, is behind the Garfield video series, the McDonald video series, you know, Quentin Reviews. Um, he's under fire, because apparently Quentin Reviews is too much on the left and trying to become a bread tuber. And, um, you know, I personally don't give a shit where Quentin Reviews politically lies, um, who gives a shit? Kippy comes here on the server and he's like, Well, what do you think about Quinn Reviews, huh? Don't you hate him for b becoming a bread tuber instead of a commentary channel? And I'm like, I don't give a shit about that. And he's like, Dang. You know, so I mean, he, he just seems to like buy into all the opinions that are hot at the moment. He doesn't seem to be able to formulate his own opinions on anything. Case in point, the metric system. Kippy happens to be a big metric system simp, not because the metric system has any obvious advantages over the imperial system, of course it doesn't, um, but because Kippy has heard that the metric system is better, and he buys into metric system propaganda because he's not really able to formulate his own opinion. I find that ver very interesting, the whole metric system uh, thing. Because, you know, I mean, to think that I have nothing against metric on principle. It's a fine system. It works. But to say that it is better than every other system of measurement is just fucking stupid. There are so many systems of measurement out there, and to claim that metric is better than all of them, that's fucking absurd. So, i give you a few examples, right? The reason Kippy says that the metric system is better than the imperial system is, of course, the old bullshit about each unit being ten times the last unit, and you don't have to remember, like, oh my gosh, twelve inches in a foot or three feet in a yard, which, like, it's not hard, this is kindergarten-level shit. To memorize three feet in a yard, 5280 feet in a mile. Not even hard for me to remember because the freaking uh, Denver magazine is called 5280 because that's the number of feet in a mile. Denver's a mile high city. Not hard to memorize. Um, 
So, uh, Kippy's main gripe, it seems, which is the gripe of all vigilant metric simps, is that metric is easier to use because there's round numbers, like 10. Um, of course, I rebutted this by pointing out that math is just a human construct, and there really aren't any round numbers. That's just something we made up. Um, because math is made up. Math is just like chess, or, you know... Ankla. It's a board game that a caveman invented sometime. He's like, here's one rock, here's two rocks, let's call this three rocks. And, uh, you know, I like board games as much as the next guy. Um, when I'm bored, I like some board games. But it's important to keep in mind that math isn't the inherent language of the universe. It's how humans perceive the universe. And it's also just some shit a caveman came up with one time because he was fucking bored out of his skull. Um, just like chess. With math, there's a set parameters, you know, set, set, set. There's defined rules that you have to abide by. Two plus two is four and all that. Um, with uh, chess, you know, bishop can only move a certain way. Uh, queen can only move a certain way. Um, so math is like that. It's, it's just a game. And I think that's important to keep in mind. A lot of people give way too much importance to math. Now, I'm not saying language is more important. It's just that language is equally a human construct that people made up. But the argument for metric essentially boils down to the fact that each unit is ten times the last one. Um, the problem being that sometimes, say, you need a unit that's more than a decameter, but low a meter, right? So decimeter De decimeter's the decimeter's the one above a centimeter, right? There's also decameter. It's really confusing. Um See, so yeah, one tenth of a meter is a decimeter and then a decameter is freaking in meters. So that's really confusing that One's called a decameter, and one called one's called a decimeter. That's like if you had like yard, and then you had like yard, and uh, you know, uh, confusing names because they sound they sound virtually identical. Uh, we'll get into that though. But let's say tens around number, right? Um, I have proof that the imperial system actually works with round numbers in some cases. Take the Fahrenheit system. Fahrenheit system of degrees is almost universally considered imperial, whereas the Celsius uh, system is considered metric. The problem arises with the fact that the Fahrenheit system sets zero at pretty much the coldest point anyone is ever likely to experience, and 100 at the hottest point anyone is ever likely to experience, you know, given a reasonably, uh, reasonably temperatured climate. So, 100 is like the hottest day, and 0 is like the coldest day. And this makes sense, because 100, going by the metric argument, is a round number. Um, so, the, you, you run into the problem when you start going by the Celsius system, because in the Celsius system... 100 degrees Fahrenheit is 37.7 degrees Celsius. That's not a round number. And one might say, well, you will need to measure things that are hotter or colder than 100 to 0 degrees Fahrenheit, like, you know, Antarctica or a boiling pot of water. But 
humans aren't likely to experience those temperatures and we can't really understand those temperatures uh, on the Fahrenheit scale. That's where the Celsius scale can actually be really convenient when we're talking larger temperatures or comparatively smaller temperatures, colder temperatures or hotter temperatures. But zero to 100 is a decent scale for measuring the coldest day to the hottest day. If you disagree with this, you're just a moron. And it's not my problem that you completely exclude one perfectly reasonable and usable system of measurement just because you're a fucking simp for metric. Um, that's not my problem. There's also the Kelvin scale, which we use to measure the inside of, like, stars and shit, because if we measured that in Fahrenheit or Celsius, it'd be like thousands and hundreds of degrees, and that wouldn't work out. But you can't just measure shit in Celsius, because 37.7 degrees Celsius isn't as catchy as 100 degrees Celsius. Also, of course, because the human body temperature is around 1 degree Celsius. It's not 90, it's 98 something, but it, it just makes more sense as a scale. 50 degrees is room temperature, not inherently hot or inherently cold. 100 degrees is hot, 0 degrees is cold. This is a scale that makes sense going by round numbers and if you like round numbers then there's no reason why why you should be dissing the fucking fahrenheit system it's a perfectly valid system and people can understand it more than fucking celsius like i'm sorry if you don't get this but that's just how it is uh, the imperial system works because people can understand it instead of talking in latin gibberish like decimeter and fucking decimeter and fucking hexameter and octameter or whatever um, we call things, you know, af after after units that are generally considered by humans, you know, with our eyes, with our senses, to be that length or whatever, like a foot. Um, again, Pete, everyone says the old story, oh, it's the length of some king's foot. It doesn't matter. That's how long a foot is, generally. So, you know, suppose that um, you're walking and, like, you, you want to see how, how many steps it is to something, you can say... Oh, this is in feet. It's not in fucking meters or freaking de decameters or decimeters or whatever the shit, because no one knows what that is. Nobody needs to know, um, unless you're a scientist. Um, but not everyone's a scientist. You know, sometimes you just want a human um, measurement for, for non-robot people. And in that case, I think uh, feet can be very convenient. Like, for instance, um, if you're measuring people, uh, feet are very good for measuring the height of someone. Um, like, for instance, when I hear six foot one or six foot two or, or five foot four or whatever, uh, I have a pretty good idea of how tall this person is. And if I hear, like, 54 centimeters or 62 centimeters, I don't know what the fuck that means, because I can't think, I can't visualize in my head 62 centimeters stacked on top of each other. Um, because believe it or not, and this is scientifically proven, the human brain is better at processing, um, you know, smaller numbers. So it's better to have a couple of big units rather than a, a bunch of tiny little units. And you can always measure, you can always measure someone in fucking decimeters. Um, but again, those are smaller than feet. Um, so suppose you want a unit that's bigger than a decimeter but smaller than a meter 
The metric system doesn't have one of those because everything in the metric system is 10 times, 10 times, 10 times. But sometimes that doesn't work for the scale that we find ourselves in. You know, sometimes you can't just take a Planck length and multiply it by 10, multiply that by 10, and so on, uh, and expect everything to work out here in the human realm because our scale doesn't always compensate for that. Sometimes there are things that simply can't be measured by units that are 10 times the last unit. Uh, sometimes humans need to invent units, and that's how the imperial system came to be. It's a useful system because it was invented by people to measure things that actually need to be measured, like miles and shit. Um, and everyone says kilometers, but here's the thing. The reason kilometers work for European highways is because Europe is fucking tiny. It's a tiny little continent made up of tiny little countries. Like, you, you go to Italy or whatever, tiny. Uh, you don't need that big a highway. America's fucking huge. Um, there, if we measured America in kilometers, it would be a fucking headache. Miles are the only unit that actually works for America, because America is big. I've seen America, it's flipping massive. It's a massive country. Um, so we need bigger units. And we can't just use 10 times whatever a kilometer is, because that's too big. We can't use kilometers, because those are too little. So we need something that's in the middle. And uh, that's why miles exist. So, sorry metric simps, but you're fucking stupid. And you need to stop saying that your system's the best just because scientists use it or whatever. I'm not a scientist. I just like measuring things for the heck of it, you know. Some people just like having descriptors for things. Uh, Kippy also assumed that I was some kind of American exceptionalist, uh, which I'm absolutely not. Um, my argument for Imperial doesn't come down to the fact that America uses it. My argument comes from the fact that it's the only com competition metric has, and I like diversity, believe it or not. Um, you know, I like, I like multiple systems of measurement around the world. I think that's important. I don't think... I don't think a universal system of measurement is inherently healthy. Um, you know, just like how I like having different languages, I like having different systems of measurement. And you might say, Well, systems of measurement don't need to have diversity because they're just math. But it's like, yeah, but math is just a human construct. And I personally like injecting a little humanity into my math, you know, because... It's already the most boring fucking field out there, so the least you can do is name your units of measurement something wacky and silly like Hogshead. Um, and if you're not going to do that, then, you know, you're just boring. Uh, you know, so I, th I think part of the problem is that a lot of people forget that uh, the metric system is comparatively, you know, it, it's comparatively new. Nobody used it before the flipping 1800s, and nobody really should use it. It's, it's not a useful system for a lot of things. It is a useful system for some things, like if you want to measure paper clips. Or like, uh, if, you, if you want to weigh something that's really, like, small, then you can go for grams. I, I personally can't see the, the use or practical application of a unit of weight that's just weight of a paper clip. That doesn't sound like a very useful uh, unit of measurement. That's why I go with the flipping pound. Um, you know, j just saying. Now, of course, no nobody used metric before um, for its invention, which is comparatively recent. Like I said, um, the pyramids were not built with metric. They were built with an obscure, obsolete Egyptian form of measurement. We don't know what it is. 
I used to think it was the pyramid inch, but apparently the pyramid inch is like a modern myth. It's not metric. Regardless, whatever it was built in, uh, if the pyramids are still up thousands of years after they were built, I can probably buy that we don't need the fucking metric system because we can build shit that lasts literal millennia um, without it. Um, you know, if the Egyptians can build the pyramids without the metric system, I, I'm pretty sure the metric system really doesn't have any practical advantage over any other system of measurement because they're all just made up. You got you got the long ton, you got the merc, you got the oka, you got the pow, you got the passeri. I've linked this this Wikipedia article on here before, but it's pretty fun. It's a list of obsolete units of measurement, and uh, it, it's freaking awesome. You should check it out, and maybe you know spice up your life, spice up your measuring escapades, and start measuring shit in penny weights or poods or surplers. That so much, so many fun uh, units of measurement that that nobody uh, you know nobody uses, and that's fucking sad. And I think what metric is doing is is it's uh, stamping out all these great units of measurement that uh, actually have a lot of practical application if you if you look into it. Um, so screw metric. Uh, I don't give a shit about metric. America's never gonna adopt metric, and I firmly support America in that. You know, if your country has adopted metric, that's fine. That's all well and good. I like how America has decided to keep its 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 measurement system intact. I think I think Imperial's a nice nice measurement system. And you know, if you use metric, you're just kind of a simp. If you use met metric to the exclusion of all else that is, and you believe it has some kind of godly power over all other. Um, forms of measurement, because it absolutely doesn't. There's nothing about metric that makes it inherently better. Uh, and in some cases, using metric is impractical. Anyway, um, so that's one of the really weak sauce arguments Kippy's made, that, like, it's better because it's by units of ten. And then, you know, I tell him that he doesn't even understand where I'm coming from, that it's not an American exceptionalism thing. I don't care that America's the only one to use the imperial system. All I care about is that there's at least two systems of measurement in common use, you know, because it's important to keep these things around, and destroying information isn't good, or making it inaccessible, or just in general, you know, destroying methods of communication that's not productive um he's like you're such a boomer and so it, it should be interesting to have him on one of these next few q a's can't talk about has been hotel of course it's october it's spooky month currently so that ought to be really flipping interesting um that said let me see the october 21 calendar here yeah, yeah. Halloween's on a Sunday this this um, this year, so that ought to be interesting. I got a lot of spooky content coming your way. Um, anywho, uh, yeah, I was gonna talk about H.P. Lovecraft real quick because I got a video coming out about H.P. Lovecraft uh, this Halloween. Um. Kippy seems to be really big into H.P. Lovecraft. I recall he defended H.P. once. 
And that that's just flipping like weird, you know. HP Lovecraft was a giant fucking racist and a massive piece of shit. I read like a third of his stories. I'm glad I didn't uh, I'm glad I didn't buy the book because you know, he has this estate Arkham House which is dedicated to proliferating his vile trash. Um but I read about a third of his stuff and uh you know, the reason I got into Lovecraft was because, like a lot of other science fiction and horror fans, I, I'm I'm kind of gullible, and, um, well, not in general, just with, like, you know, fiction I haven't read. Um, everyone says HP is kind of like Edgar Allan Poe, and I flippin' love Edgar Allan Poe, if you know I me. Mean. I can't get enough of the guy. So I was like, oh, shit, yeah, more, more Edgar Allan Poe-type stories, and, you know, I start reading, because I've read all, all of Edgar Allan Poe's stories pretty much, um, very prolific author, but I've read most of them. So then I get to the part where he starts calling his cat the N-word. And uh, that's the point where I stop reading. I'm done with it. H.P. Lovecraft's a fucking racist. And everyone's like, He was a product of his time. I'm like, What time? The 1920s? You mean the fucking Jazz Age? You mean when freaking Great Gatsby and Grapes of Wrath and other shit was coming out? It's very progressive and forward-thinking. You mean to tell me that he was a product of the 1920s? Like, fuck, if he was a product of the 1920s, he'd be cool. Um, he's a product of the flippin' 1750s, if you ask me. He's a fucking holdout. Um, he's, he's, he's a backwards caveman. H.P. Lovecraft is one of those authors that's just insufferable, and I can't believe I frickin' made a cartoon out of one of his stories. I was so naive. Got I got a video coming out. Uh, it's Halloween. It's gonna be a fun little video essay on the guy, but I just figure I should kind of elaborate here. Um, in the video, I say that H.P. Um, Lovecraft invented the uh, zombie story with Howard West Reanimator. I, I brought I brought forward in Valdemar as a case of a, pr a kind of zombie story, but then I forgot about, all about the premature burial. So, when you watch the the Lovecraft video this Halloween. Just keep in mind that I I I forgot about the premature burial. That's actually the first uh, zombie story. Um, not Howard West or Herbert West or whatever the fuck his name is. Um. H.P. Lovecraft is just thoroughly disgusting. And, like, to think that people actually idolize this guy and, like, excuse his shit. Here's the thing, right? Edgar Allan Poe was 50 years before Lovecraft. 60 years, heck. Not only does he invent the modern detective story with Murders in the Rue Morgue and Mystery Marie Roger and Purloin Letter, and see Auguste Dupont's flipping awesome. I really like the idea of a French detective being before the British detective. Nothing against Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I like Sherlock Holmes. He's actually one of the characters in a British British pop culture. I do like. See Auguste Dupont came first. A Frenchman invented by an American, which is pretty awesome. Um, the thing about Edgar Allan Poe is he was not a racist. Like, absolutely not. Um... The video, I'm kind of confused about that, but after a lot of research, I've come to the conclusion that Edgar Allan Poe was a stand-up fucking guy for, like, the 1840s. For one, he really respected Native Americans. He suggested that we uh, rename America to Appalachia to give some respect to the Appalachian tribes who were displaced. 
very wholesome guy. Just the kind of thing you'd imagine at Ground Post saying, what a wholesome guy. Sure, he was an, an opium and morphine addict. Sure, sure, he married his underage adopted cousin or whatever. Back then, they didn't have underage laws, and she was like 17, so whatever. He's a decent guy, is the point. Um, you know, he, has, he had his fair share of scandals. And I think, I think Lovecraft is kind of like the anti-Poe, in that whereas Poe is like this, you know, really decent guy who, you know, whose stories are gruesome and horrible and grotesque, but, you know, they're really pushing the boundaries of censorship back then, what you could get away with publishing. Um, Poe is a really decent guy in real life. Uh, Lovecraft, on the other hand, was a really shitty guy who covers up all the uh, giant mistakes and stupid beliefs he had um, in, his, in his actual life with this flowery prose um, to say, like, I'm a genius. Let me distract you from how I'm a fucking racist piece of shit. Um, that's, that's just really crazy. Another way he's the opposite of Poe is it whereas Poe was, like, really celebrated during his lifetime. Everyone fucking loved Poe. Uh, you know, he was in reviews. He almost made his own, uh, like, a, a magazine, which he would be the editor of. He was, he, he was like, at the top of, of literary, uh, at the top of the literary game. And then after his death, of course, Griswold writes the, uh, the really shitty memoir and, like, blacklists him and talks about what a degenerate he was, which, yeah, he, he was kind of a degenerate. He was on a lot of opium and morphine, but... During his life, like everyone liked Poe, he was a popular guy. Lovecraft during his life was hated by everyone. Nobody liked this guy. Everyone fucking hated him. If Lovecraft came into the room, he'd be like, get out. We don't want to see your face here. And after his death, everyone's like, oh shit, we forgot about this underrated, underappreciated genius. He didn't get enough praise when he was alive. And guess why the reason he didn't get enough praise when he was alive is it's because he's a freaking racist and nobody liked him. I think part of the problem, right, Edgar Allan Poe died in the 1840s. He did not live to see the, the Civil War, the American Civil War, so he never even knew America without slavery. He never. He was. He he was. He did not live long enough to see that happen, and yet he was not a racist. Therefore, proving that this product of your time bullshit is complete hoax, and you cannot. You can choose actively not to be a racist um, if you want, and be remembered better by history for it. Or in the case of. A lot of people who were fervently anti-racist, you get forgotten by history. Um, but, like, the product of your time argument only goes so far. Lovecraft was writing this shit in the freaking 1920s. I think maybe he just thought that to write old-fashioned, you gotta write racist. But that's not actually how it works. Um, there's one Lovecraft story, remember, which is completely insufferable. Um, where it's like, this guy goes to his haunted house, and there's this, like, redneck there, and he's, he pulls out this book, and he calls these, calls these Native Americans, like, the N-word or something. And I think Lovecraft is just trying to keep up an air of, like, you know, uh, 
plausible deniability. Being like, well, I made up this character, and he's the one who says the N-word. It's not me. Like, oh, it's it's just a story written so that HP can write the N-word and be provocative and be edgy because he's a fucking edgelord. Because you have to understand, just for a second, that in the 20s, it wasn't common to put the N-word all over your freaking horror writing, especially considering sci-fi and horror writers are very progressive people. Like, 70% of the time, most sci-fi writers are forward-thinking. You have to be to be in the genre. Um, Lovecraft is trying to write like Poe, and he, he really wants to be Poe. And a lot of the stuff in his stories is like discount Poe, because I think, I think he... He misses everything that makes a post story appealing. For instance, Telltale Heart's a good example of a post story that's not dated. There's still murderers, there's still cops, and there's still butlers to an extent, or servants or whatever. So you could easily take the Telltale Heart, and you could set it in the 80s or the 60s, or you could set it now. Because no matter when it's set, it's still freaking scary. The idea of a heart beating on its own is still freaking terrifying. Also, the idea of getting cornered by cops still happens. You can adapt the Telltale Heart to a modern type setting. It works. Because Poe understood, when he wrote his stories, that, you know, things change as time moves on. So he had to avoid making dated references to things that were only from the 19th century. He had to be forward-thinking and think about, let's write about, you know, timeless immortal themes, like, you know, like lost loves and murders and, and kidnappings and whatnot, and let the reader fill in their details. And Poe is vague in, in certain aspects of the time and setting. This is so that the reader, you know, can use their imagination to fill in the the visuals and whatever but he is eloquent and and verbose and writes with a kind of prose i don't think i've ever seen anyone else display poe is an absolute master of horror he absolute bangs out those those latin phrases and stuff and it doesn't feel pretentious at all um you know he was clearly a well-educated guy um the problem with lovecraft uh, on the other hand is that he will only leave something vague when it's something cool because he doesn't know how to write. Like, you couldn't imagine Cthulhu. You just couldn't imagine how scary Cthulhu is. And I'm like, oh yeah, try me. Try me, Lovecraft. I, I think I can imagine how Cthulhu looks. If you just if you just fill in the details a little, I think I can get the picture. He's an octopus guy. I get it. Um, the reason, the only reason Lovecraft makes his monsters incomprehensible and undescribable is because he's not a good writer and he doesn't know how to describe these things. So he's just like. You couldn't begin to imagine how it was. It was freaky. Um, whereas, like, with a, an Ed, with a good Edgar Allan Poe story, you, you get the setting. It, it just sinks into you, the setting and the characters and everything. Um, with an H.P. Lovecraft story, for one, all the characters are fucking boring because they're all just straight white guys. There's, there's not even any women in, like, any of his stories. Like, there are women, but no, like, 
female leads, which I just think is so, so sad, you know? Um, but the other thing is, like, everyone says Lovecraft starred his own genre or whatever, but I really don't see it. There's nothing in a Lovecraft story that you can't find in a Poe story. I've issued this challenge before. Tell me one thing that you think Lovecraft invented, and I'll tell you something in a Poe story that Poe actually invented. Because, again, just cribbing the notes off of Poe, that's what Lovecraft does in every single one of his fucking stories. He just tries to write like Poe. I mean, it doesn't work, because he's not that good a writer. Uh, there's there's a point in Her Herbert West Reanimator where, he, like, there's this black guy and he describes him like he's not human it's it's disgusting and to think that anyone is still like reanimator so great it's it's so good man reanimator oh boy uh, it's, it's a it's a really racist story like the, there's this black boxer you know this respectable african-american pugilist and hp is like he looked like a different species or some shit and it's it's like he's trying to describe this african-american guy in the same regard as he'd write about cthulhu and it's just so sad what a pathetic excuse of a man hp lovecraft fucking sucks anyway um so there's that like really racist story and again not the first zombie story premature burial is actually the first zombie story and uh, howard west isn't even uh, a well a well-compiled character. If you want mad scientist types, there's Jekyll, there's Frankenstein, there's Moreau, plenty of them. None of them are filthy racists like uh, Herbert West, who's just a character insert for Lovecraft. Lovecraft's writing is some of the most edgy shit I think I've ever read. Again, I'm going to say all this in my video on uh, Halloween, but I just thought I I'd kind of expand on it here, because there's some things that I wasn't able to mention um, in the video. One theory that I put forward in my video is that Cthulhu is just a stand-in for Osiris and Ganesh and Quetzalcoatl and all the other foreign gods that Lovecraft can't understand because he's a racist and, you know, he's, he, he's, such, he's so much in his little comfort bubble that he'd probably break down and collapse into tears if it started raining outside. Uh, Lovecraft is not sci-fi. He's, he's firmly horror and he's 100% just Poe-inspired. Like, sure, Cthulhu and Yarlathotep and whatever, they are technically aliens, but it's still not sci-fi. Because to, to be in sci-fi, you know, you kind of have to imagine the future and technology and stuff. And all Lovecraft does is just be like, You can't begin to imagine what science will bring. We'll, we'll come into contact with fucking octopus gods and shit, man. Um, you know, and science will never bring that. There aren't any octopus deities out there, but part of the problem with H.P. Lovecraft is that he, he exclusively writes about Eastern-type societies, which he isn't interested in. The main character is always a frickin' white cracker who's just there and is not interested in the culture. He's just there to deride the natives. Um, it's always about outsiders, you know, not outsiders really insiders um main character is always some fucking white guy and he goes to this other culture and he's like oh my god this culture is so freaky i can't handle it 
like the shadow of Rinsmith, um, where there's this white guy, and he goes to this town, it's all fish people, and they're related to, you know, fish, and they worship a fish god. Some readings of this story are really funny, because it's like the main character's a gay guy, and he's he's having problems with his identity, you know, because at the end of Innsmouth, he discovers he's related to these fish people. Um, but he's not the oppressed. He's the oppressor. He's coming into this fish town and telling the fish people how to live. The fish people get to worship their fish god if they fucking want. They're Americans. They, they can have any religion they want under the First Amendment. Leave the fish people alone. And at the end, the horror of the story, the entire scary part of the story, comes from when this, this, this generic white character discovers that he has partially fish DNA and he's one of them. Which is just freaking stupid. If if you take the entire Innsmouth story and you just turn the fish town into like the ghetto or the, or the you know Jewish district and you just replace fish person with Jewish person or black person, then you start to realize, oh, this is just a story written by a shitty racist who 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 the the entire scary part of his stories is just. Oh no, I'm one sixteenth fish person. Oh no, my genetic bloodline is no longer pure. Grow up, you little baby. My god, you're part fish person. Deal with it. And if you don't think that's what Innsmouth is about, then seriously, you you don't know how to read. You must be freaking illiterate, because it's just so sad. It's it's just so sad, like to think that And again, Edgar Allan Poe's story is a really good for adaptation. Um, the Roger Corman ones are great. Vincent Price, obviously. You got Tales of Terry. You got The Masquerade, Deathfall, The House of Usher. Um, I saw one called Extraordinary Tales, which was like five really cool Edgar Allan Poe-inspired cartoons. Um, and one of them had like Bela Lugosi, like the original radio adaptation of Bela Lugosi reading The Telltale Heart. It was synced up to, like, a, a really cool cartoon. Probably one of the best animations I've ever seen at Telltale Heart. And the reason Edgar Allan Poe's stories are really popular and universally acclaimed, and Lovecraft is, for the most part, only known about in a very small science fiction niche, is because, again, Poe wasn't a giant racist, and Lovecraft was a giant racist, and a piece of shit. And, you know, just to see so many... So many uh, adaptations of Lovecraft's shit is just truly disappointing. The Color Out of Space, disappointing. Nobody should be adapting this shit. Reanimator adaptation is especially annoying. Um, obviously, it's got Jeffrey Combs, who's probably the best part. He's a decent actor. He's fine on, like, Deep Space Nine and whatnot. Um, part of the issue is that it takes Arkham from the 1920s to the 1980s, thus sucking all the character out of it. Also, obviously, the Herbert West reanimator stories rely heavily on that Herbert West and his assistant are both fresh from World War I and the battlefield. That's an intrinsic part of their character, the same way that, like, Watson and the Sherlock Holmes stories being from the, you know, fresh from the Afghanistan battlefield is an important part of his character. So to take these characters who originally um, were in World War I and plop them into the 80s really doesn't work. Also... I can't stand the last scene. It's it's garbage. It's just schlock. So for those of you who don't know, the Reanimator movie has a, has a nude scene 
where the, where the main female lead, the, the romantic interest of the of the Herbert West assistant character, is strapped down nude to a table, and this disgusting, decapitated zombie corpse guy starts feeling her up and ogling her. And this is inexcusable. Now, this isn't in the original Herbert West reanimator story. Um, it does keep in line with Lovecraft, though, because it's equally as edgy and provocative in trying to see how, how far it can push the envelope. Um, there's no reason for it to be in there. Um, it, it ruins a movie, and to think that there's like three reanimator sequels after this shit is, is just on another level. I mean, I, I've talked often about there's nothing there's nothing wrong with having nudity in a horror movie there's plenty of horror movies that do nudity fine but just to have a rape scene plopped in there for no reason it's gratuitous it's cheap it's tasteless it's tacky and if you haven't seen the reanimator movie which i have and i'm freaking scarred for life because this thing is garbage if you haven't seen it don't watch it it's not worth seeing it's a piece of shit if nothing against nudity in a horror movie that's not my argument at all the Lighthouse, for instance, great horror movie. Um, there's a lot of nudity in it. There's a lot of mermaid breasts, um, you know, because, of course, mermaids don't wear clothes. They're, they're fish people. Um, nudity works when it's in context. Uh, so, like, for instance, in Night of the Living Dead, there's a nude zombie. Um, this makes sense because sometimes corpses aren't buried with any clothes on. Makes perfect sense. I'd expect that. Within context... If there's a nude scene, or just like if there's two horny teenagers, like in Friday the 13th or something, and they start going at it, and they're both consenting, and, and, then, my, and then Jason Voorhees or whatever pops out with a hatchet, that's fine. No problem with that. The problem comes when you just plop in breasts and sexual assault for no reason, and up until that point, there's no breasts. So it just like comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, it goes from being a movie that could be passed as PG-13 straight up to R, and Reanimator was almost rated X, and they probably should have just gone with that, because then they could have gotten away with this stuff, but they apparently edited out a, a few frames or something. It's, it's absurd. Uh, the, the level of depravity that Reanimator stoops to. And it gives horror as a genre a bad name. There's so many strong female characters in, in horror. Like, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Obviously, you, you got Emily from Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you, you got Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. Great female character. Absolutely a strong presence on there. Um, she's never objectified, which is great. And you also have... also have Ben Twain in Night of the Living Dead, and he's flipping awesome. One of the greatest, greatest African-American horror actors of all time. Flipping, bringing, bringing the heat. And Night of the Living Dead's way better than Reanimator, the story worth a movie, so check it out if you haven't. Seriously, it's in the public domain. If you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. Night of the Living Dead's flipping awesome. But Dwayne Jones is really great in Night of the Living Dead. And then you got Judith O'Dea's Barbara. Again, wonderful stuff. But... Reanimator is like if halfway through Night of the Living Dead for no no reason they just you know they they just have an orgy plopped in there it's it's so stupid there's no reason 
in the last part of Reanimator, for the main female character to get, just get, like, oh god, it's it's awful. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. And there are people out there who, to this day, believe that horror is nothing but a bunch of women getting chopped up with knives. And there, there are even B-movies that are more tasteful than that, and don't just have a bunch of naked women getting chopped up. Like, that's that's the lo that's the bottom of the barrel in horror. There's so many better horror movies with strong female characters. And, you know, I just think that's important to keep in mind. It, keep in perspective, say. Um, you know, it, it depends on context, again. But if there's just a horror movie with this, with this nude woman getting ogled and felt up by a, by a, by a pervert zombie that's not tasteful and it's not it's not good and like i don't even know what they're thinking and again i i've talked often about the virtues of the movie rabid from david cronenberg it's it's a really good zombie movie um underrated and it it takes place in canada and it stars marilyn chambers who's an actual porn star so i just find it really ironic that the zombie movie with an actual porn star in the lead role is more tasteful and has less gratuitous violence and nudity than just the reanimator movie and the actress who's not even a porn star. That just that's just crazy to think about. Like, and not that this shit would even be okay as a porno. It it it'd be freaking trash. Reanimator is a bad movie, and they probably just shouldn't have called it Reanimator, cause in cause in. You know, not only is it not rated X, it's rated R. So, like, if some kid has a parental guardian or whatever, they can go in and see this shit, uh, which is not okay. This should be rated X, because it's exploitative garbage. But one of the main problems is that, like, it's rated R, but it just comes out of nowhere. And I, I think... I think Reanimator, the movie, uh, really needs kind of an identity check. And anyone who thinks it's like this cult classic, or, oh, I, underrated. No, there's so many more underrated horror movies out there um, that, that don't involve some lady getting strapped down to a table and felt up by a perverted zombie. That There's so, there's so many. So many that don't involve that. Um, you know, expand your boundaries a little if all if all you're reading and looking at is lovecraft let me tell you you're in for a real like disappointment because lovecraft there there are plenty of contemporaries of lovecraft who probably wrote better shit and their work is actually underrated they're not giant racists who spout the n-word every five seconds one of the things that really gets me about lovecraft is how he, he calls anthology his tales of the grotesque and arabesque kind of grotesque and arabesque kind of conflating the two um i have an example actually of an edgar Allan poe story which deals with kind of eastern themes um but isn't racist because edgar Allan poe wasn't a filthy racist like hp lovecraft was um it being the tale of the ragged mountains uh, the the basic premise of this story is that there's this virginian guy you know, from Virginia, and he's walking in the mountains, and suddenly he's teleported through like through like a hypnotic experience over to over to uh, India and uh, Benares, which is a city in India. 
And Edgar Allan Poe, I don't think, was ever in India, but he's very well read on the subject. And he's very scholarly. And the way he points, the way he, he talks about this city, the way he describes it, is so vivid that you almost think that, like, he was either there or he's really good at making you think you're there. Because, like, he just, he just gives so many cool details about, uh, you know, 19th century India, which is an underrated period in India's history. Um, one of the things he does, which is very tasteful, is that he he doesn't uh, condescend to the people in India. The the scariness of the story doesn't come from just that India is foreign and scary to this guy, but that he's there suddenly, and he doesn't know how, because one second he's walking out in the Virginian mountains, and then suddenly he's in India. That's where the That's where the scary part comes from. I mean, even today... If I was just sitting here and then all of a sudden I, I was in Sri Lanka or something, you know, that would be pretty freaky. I wouldn't be freaked out by Sri Lanka itself, but just the fact that I had been transported there instantaneously. Now that That's kind of weird. Um, and the story gives a, a cool explanation for how it happens, which I'm not going to spoil. But you get the sense that Edgar Allan Poe really understood India. And he's talking about an actual historical event that happened in India at the time. And if it was if it was an Edgar Allan Poe or if it was an H.P. Lovecraft story, he wouldn't describe the city in such vivid detail. He'd just be like, "These curry people and their six-headed elephant god were terrifying, and you couldn't imagine it. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. Oh Lord." Oh no, I'm in India, whatever will I do? Said Allan Poe, not being a racist piece of shit like that, um, doesn't condescend to the Indian people, and just says, you know, it'd be kind of weird to be in India, but it's, it, India itself isn't freaky, it's just a country with normal people doing normal shit. Um, you know, so I think that's really nice. The Tale of the Ragged Mountains, good example of... A 19th century classic gothic type horror story that deals with eastern themes in an eastern setting, but doesn't condescend to the people there. Absolutely a, a fun story. You should read it. So it's one of his more underrated stories, and the way he describes Benares is flippin' cool. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of Indian stuff and Indian cities and culture is pretty cool. I've read about, uh, you know, the fakers and stuff, and being buried alive, and the beds of nails and stuff, and such a cool religion, Hinduism. Anyway, so like I was saying, uh, yeah, obviously A Tale of the Ragged Mountains is a good example of how to do this right. But for the most part, Edgar Allan Poe doesn't write that much about, you know, countries he doesn't know that much about. He, mo he mostly writes, and this is what's great about his stories, he mostly writes about European shit. Uh, when, when I was issuing this challenge, name something that you think is exclusively Lovecraftian, and I'll tell you how Poe does it, um, the idea of a malevolent god. Uh, you know, a malevolent deity who is, like, angry at people. Everyone says Lovecraft invents this with Nyarlathotep and Dagon and whatever. It's actually the Red Death who invented that. The Red Death is such a cool, a cool supernatural entity slash malevolent deity. Just fucking awesome. 
And not only this, not only does Edgar Allan Poe invent an entire disease out of his head because he's he has a vivid imagination, but he invents Prince Prospero, not a real prince. Poe just made him up. And part of what's great about a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's stories is that they're set in Europe. Now, truth be told, these days, Europe is a very different state of affairs. They got the European Union, they got the Euro. They're a stable continent now, and they're modern, and they have democracies. But back in Poe's time, there were still literal kings and queens in France and Spain and Italy and whatnot. Heck, Napoleon was, was around. So, Poe, being an American, you know, a member of this new country that values democracy, is like... I'm gonna shit on Europe. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk down to Europe. He really puts he really puts 19th century Europe in its place. Um, the Mask of the Red Death, for those of you who don't know, is kind of vague about its setting. Um, it's not it's not explicitly set in one European country or another. It's very clearly set somewhere in Europe, um, possibly Italy or Spain or somewhere like that. Prince Prospero is a complete bastard, uh, just a, a shitty monarch who neglects the needs of his people, gathers all the nobles up for a big frickin' party, and then the Red Death comes in, dressed as just another party-goer, and he frickin' kills Prince Prospero, and then all the nobles look at each other and they're like, oh shit, we're contaminated too. And the moral of this story is you can't keep sicknesses out of places, quarantining doesn't really work. But with that's not the moral that's like the the, the sub moral the main moral is don't treat your your constituents like shit or it'll come back to bite you in the ass but another moral is obviously quarantining things d doesn't work you can't keep disease out because a lot of it's airborne a lot of it's waterborne you know foodborne whatever many ways microorganisms can uh, attach themselves to thing which is very pertinent here in a uh, coronavirus time so that's pretty cool also, the Red Death is a flippin' cool illness. Poe made it entirely up. Now, some literary scholars have argued that it's uh, it's meant to represent this disease where, like, you start bleeding from your skin. But I, I personally tend to think that the symptoms of the Red Death are completely invented by Poe. That's what's really cool about the Mask of the Red Death is that it's it's about European failings and how monarchies don't work and how monarchs will abuse their power and be complete shit to their, uh, you know, their people, the common folk, and the nobility uh, will also get bitten in the ass in the end. So that's pretty awesome. Um, again, Poe is a very American author, and uh, that's reflected in his stories like Mask of the Red Death. Also have stories that are explicitly set in one country or another, although, of course, Poe his own surreal type vibes into the mix to make these countries like way scarier and more interesting than they actually are cask of montelato obviously is set in italy um metzingerstein set in hungary um of course the sea guys dupont stories are set in france but usually he writes about european stuff and in particular European practices that aren't talked about much, like immolation, which is actually a real thing. People actually did use to wall each other up in, in catacombs and shit. Um, and Poe po obviously heard about that, and he's like, oh shit, I gotta make a story about this. And the result is Cask of Montalato, which is flipping awesome. That story's really, really good. So, 
I'd say part of Poe's appeal on a mass scale is, again, the timelessness of his work. So much of it could just be set today. There are, like, no references to shit that's outdated or anything. I don't even know how Poe po was able to create stories that have lasted this long and stayed this relevant, but it's flippin' mental. Um, he's one of the only authors from the 19th century who I read and go like, oh shit, he knew where his head was at. He, he knew where the world was headed. Like, I look at, like, a Jules Verne story or a Mark Twain story, and they're really dated. They're really, like, out, out of... They're really not modern, what we'd call modern. But Edgar Allan Poe's flipping modern. Like, you read, you read an Edgar Allan Poe story, you won't even know that you're reading shit from the 19th century. Um, seriously, read the original text, because Poe can just write like nobody else. Don't read an abridged version. Don't read a simplified kindergarten version, because you won't be getting the you won't be getting the Poe experience. You won't be getting that Poe spice. Um, you you want the original version. Poe writes with big words and a big vocabulary because he's actually smart, whereas H.P. Lovecraft just writes with big words because he wants to appear smart, but it's very obvious he's not smart. Um, he writes like he's British, which makes sense, you know, because being, being a giant racist, I bet, I bet he hates being American and having to deal with all this diversity. Gosh sakes, you're in the, you're in the great melting pot. That must have been awful for poor H.P., uh, a few more comparisons here. One is that HP pretends to be a drug addict. Absolutely not. I look at the guy, he's 100% sober. Probably never smoked a toke in his life. Look at Edgar Allan Poe. The guy was on opium. The guy was on morphine. He was flipping hooked up to some wacky shit. I'm not saying drug abuse is good or that it'll inherently make good writing, but you read an Edgar Allan Poe story and you're like, oh shit, this, this is the product of a of a troubled mind. This is the... This guy was on some drugs. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, I never feel like that. I don't think he did drugs. I think his dad was... His dad was nuts, you know. And obviously he had a pretty bad childhood. Some some say that he was like a closeted homosexual. I don't buy it, because he's really a misogynist. And I don't think... I think that, that that's just not... You know, most gay guys aren't misogynists. I just think he was a... I just think he was an insult. Um... Yeah, I think he, I think he was a misogynist, and he couldn't get a, a woman if he tried. Probably never saw a pair of breasts in his life, so he'd probably really enjoy the new Reanimator movie. Um, freaking cringe. Uh, one thing that I, I really can't stand H.P. Lovecraft stories is the fucking cliche of, "Oh my God, I saw Cthulhu, and it made me fucking insane." Like all of Lovecraft's characters go insane they, they're not just scared they're not just you know they don't just have a reasonable amount of fear like if i saw cthulhu it'd be scary sure a big octopus monster but i, I wouldn't wouldn't be so far from my set, set of reference that i'd go insane like that's just not something that happened I'd be scared, I'd scream, I'd run away. And once uh, Cthulhu no longer posed any danger to me, I wouldn't be scared anymore. H.P. Lovecraft's characters always go fucking off-the-rails bonkers, which is just not how fear works, it's not how mental illness works. Believe it or not, mental illness happens after a long succession of events, or you're born with it, or, you know, it, it's gradual. 
There isn't one thing that you just look at and all of a sudden you're you're schizophrenic or whatever. That's not how it that's not how it works. But I wouldn't expect HP to understand the the nuances of mental illness because he's not mentally ill. The guy the guy has no mental issues. He's just an asshole. Um. So part of the deal is it HP wants to pretend like he's some kind of reclusive you know, maniac, and he wants to create this Poe-esque image of himself. But he looks like Humpty Dumpty, and he's living in Massachusetts, which is one of the most progressive states. You know, it's Ben Franklin, Boston, everything. One of the most progressive states. Probably more progressive than Colorado. Heck, I don't think he could get much more progressive than that. So at all times, he's surrounded by these academics and progressives who are really smart and don't put up with the N-word or any of this shit. And he's like... Hey, you want to read my new provocative story? And they're like, nah, no thanks. And he's like, but he has the N-word, so it's racially charged, bruh. That's how I imagine a conversation with a Lovecraft would go. I, I, I can't imagine uh, it being too different. But the main problem with the H.P. Lovecraft, like I said... Giant fucking racist, and this guy hates cultures that aren't that aren't uh, just Christianity, religions in particular. Now, when I first saw Lovecraft, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Now he's given some he's given some exposure to religions that normally don't get exposure. But then I realized that the only religions he ever mentions are ones he made up, and by made up, I just mean he takes the Egyptian. And, you know, mostly Hindu-type aesthetic is, I think, what he's going for, because, you know, Hinduism has a lot of the elephant-type gods and stuff. And he just smashes them together and calls them nonsense, like Yogg-Shagathoth or whatever. Everyone's flippin' mind is blown. Um, takes no creativity. Takes no ingenuity. It doesn't take an imagination to just make up an octopus guy and call him, call him Crumbleton, you know? That, that, that doesn't take... That doesn't take a lot of frickin' oversight. Um, makes no sense. Anyhow, I brought this up on the encyclopedia server before I got banned. And it was, it was freaking insufferable, because everyone's like... I was like... Color out of space is so good! I'm like... How can Colorado Space be that good? It's got Nick Cage. But with the source material H.P. Lovecraft, I can't imagine it being that good. Because um, he's racist. Like, I don't think you can adapt a racist story like what Lovecraft wrote to the modern day and have it be relevant. If you like Lovecraft, you're just kind of a clueless idiot who will buy anything. And uh, you're also the type who'd excuse someone for being just a legitimately vile and shit person. And, you know, I don't think it's important to separate the artist from the art, because I think the art that the artist creates will be a reflection of who the artist is. The stories that Edgar Allan Poe writes are a direct result of how he th thought and saw the world, and the same goes for H.P., so I think to separate the art from the artist is frankly stupid, and even if you were to do that, um, 
H.P. Lovecraft stories are still full of the N-word because this guy just couldn't refrain from spouting it every five fucking seconds because he just had to be that gosh darn edgy and provocative. He just had to be saying the N-word all the time. Um, so, you know, just don't read his shit. No, no one's forcing you to. The guy is dead. It's not like he's going to make any money off it, but just don't read it because it's shitty stories. Read, it, read Edgar Allan Poe or something. Like Jules Verne or H.G. Wells. You know, none of those guys are racist. Just read them. I don't see what the problem here is. When I say don't read H.P. Lovecraft, everyone's like, Oh no, you're telling me what I can't... Yeah, I am telling you what you should and shouldn't read. I'm not telling you you can't read H.P. I'm just saying you shouldn't, because there's so many better stories that don't get enough clout. There's so many sci-fi authors who would kill to get a piece of the fame that Lovecraft has. Lovecraft's a fucking idiot. Nobody during his lifetime appreciated his work. He died alone and sad. And then after his work, a bunch of people just came along and hyped him up for no good reason other than that they could. And were like, this guy was forgotten about. And it's like, yeah, he was forgotten about for good reasons. Because his stories are shit. And he's a giant racist. And nobody likes racists. And, you know. I, I mean, people actually defend his stories as like an allegory for homosexuality or some shit. I was not gay. He just was not. He was a hundred percent straight. He was a whiny little incel. And like, you know, Smith isn't about being gay. If it is, it's about the fish people being gay because they're the oppressed minority. Um, in H.P. Lovecraft's world model, there's only two types of religion. Either you worship Jesus or you worship Cthulhu. And if you worship Cthulhu, you're filthy. Um, so you know that that's just a really reductive viewpoint. You're not gonna get you're not gonna get a good story like that. Again, I I thought HP was into foreign religions and shit, and I thought that was so cool, you know. But then I realized he's just mocking all these foreign religions, and that's not a that's not that's not how to make a good horror movie. Like for instance, you're making a mummy movie. All you do is talk about how the Egyptians were these backward savages who didn't know how to do shit. It'd be a shitty mummy movie. Why make a mummy movie if you're not interested in the culture you're trying you're trying to discuss? That's why every mummy movie paints ancient Egypt as this grand and sweeping empire, because that's what it was. And they, they had some legitimately astounding accomplishments, like the flippin' pyramids and the flippin' sphinx and the flippin' sarcophagi. All cool shit. Um, in the Boris Karloff version of Mummy Movie, not racist. Some people will say anything is racist. Original Mummy Movie, Boris Karloff, not racist, because it's respectful to Egypt. It brings the perspective of Egypt to a lot of new audiences who at the time weren't so aware of, like, mummification and sarcophagi and stuff, and that's really cool. And also, Egypt was a big civilization with a lot of important contributions to humanity and history and whatnot. So any mummy movie will have to keep that in mind, and you don't just get to rename Osiris Yogg-Shothaloth and have him be a six-horned goat deity and expect it to be as good, because it's not going to be, because you're just making shit up at that point. Read, don't read HP. He, he's freaking garbage. He's a freaking garbage person. And uh, he makes me sick, quite frankly. And to think that I dedicated about an entire month of my life to animating one of his stories, 
I went through a Lovecraft phase, and if there's anything, I, I will apologize for it's that. Because I understand now that Lovecraft fans can be fucking insufferable, especially with their diehard devotion to this guy. But, you know, a lot of people say that I'm not willing to admit my mistakes. Um, so, you know, it being October, it being the month of horror and all, I figure it's high time I admit that I did make a mistake once. It wasn't that... It wasn't that, you know, any of my comics are bad or that I've done something bad in particular. It's just that for about a, for about about like three months, I, I did I really didn't give HP that much more time, but I am ashamed of how much of his shit I, I read when I could have been reading some more Edgar Allan Poe or something cool, like uh Doctor Tar and Professor Feather. I wanna get around to that one. Um it's one mistake I will admit I've made. I, I got deep into Lovecraft, but unlike a lot of people, I'm willing to admit that, you know, not, not all stories are the best, and if stories are shit, then I'll call them as I see them. And I think it'd be unfair for me to have a critical lens towards all these other people, but not to Lovecraft. I, I gotta treat Lovecraft the same as I would any other author, even if everyone else is like he's the hottest shit. Uh, I don't buy that, because he's racist that's not cool and that doesn't make for a good horror story or good sci-fi story or whatever the fuck you want to call lovecraft stories i think maybe he just didn't understand the difference between sci-fi and horror so he tried cramming them into one and that could have been it i wouldn't be surprised he doesn't seem like a very knowledgeable sort on uh, anything and uh, his stories are just really lame there are some great stories that are written in that same type of mysterious, surreal style, like, for instance, Franz Kafka. Anamorphosis is absolutely a masterpiece if you're into stories that potentially could take place in any time period in any country in the, in the world. Um, like, universally appealing, abstract stories like that. Metamorphosis is flippin' awesome. Um, you got Before the Law. You got so many great Franz Kafka-type Kafka stories. Those Those are awesome. And I think... Lovecraft's kind of like the Bergen bin Kafka, Bergen bin Poe, you know. Poe and Kafka do have a lot in common. I think they probably would have gotten along quite a bit. But, uh, Chippy's take, I think I still have some, some screenshots of this from over in the Encyclopedia's story. He says he's sure that there are some black people who enjoy Lovecraft, uh, name one. I don't. I don't think any. I don't think anyone should enjoy Lovecraft of any of any race. But I don't think there's. I don't think I've ever heard a black guy go, "Ah, oh, yeah, Lovecraft. That's the good shit." Um, you know. I. I just think. Well, for one, obviously, a lot of black guys have a lot more discerning taste in literature. You know, they they know what's racist and what's not, and they're a lot more conscious about that. They don't just stuff this shit in their face like junk food, uh, like like we white people do. Uh, that that's one aspect of it, obviously. And I would say that the reason fellows like Mark Twain, for the most part, represent the 19th century, is because he was a sellout, and he had virtually no political convictions. Um, he, wa he wasn't willing to call slavery what it was, you know, this reprehensible evil that was tearing the country apart. He's like, I want to tell you the story of Tom Finn and Huck Sawyer, the fucking garbage pale kids. And uh, it's cloying, and it's cheap, and it's, it, it ignores the problem, which is that the South in the 19th century 
was a racist hellhole, right? And I think it's a kind of populism that gives Mark Twain his mass appeal. Uh, Southern racists, him, you know, uh, indifferent white people in the North enjoyed him. A lot of different demographics could consume Mark Twain because he didn't deliberately try to offend. It's only when you get to the actual, like, fervent abolitionists of the time, like, like John Brown or Frederick Douglass, that you get to see, oh, people actually were kind of pissed off about this whole slavery thing. And they were actually, like, really upset about it and weren't going to take any of this shit. And not everyone from back then was a giant racist. Like, John Brown, what a guy. What a cool flipping guy. That guy's flipping awesome, John Brown. Uh, out of applause for John Brown, let me tell you. Um, but oftentimes the, uh, the populist shit gets uh, a lot more attention, like Mark Twain. He was basically the Avengers of his time, a bunch of... A bunch of drivel that meant nothing. Nobody gives a shit. And, you know, Edgar Allan Poe didn't get as much clout, um, which is a real shame, because he, he is seriously America's best short story writer. Um, maybe not the best these days. There have been other great short story writers. But he was the first, and he's still one of the best. Um, and he's distinctly American. I really like that. So Edgar Allan Poe's cool for that reason. Again, I'm going to repeat a lot of this stuff on my Halloween special, but... Um, yeah, one of the things that Chip said over in the Encyclopedia server back when I was on there... I can't, I can't see the full conversation, I just got some screenshots. So I say he's a racist and an asshole, stuffed shirt troglodyte like that. And Kip says... First off, he, he mocks uh, the Red Death as being on the same level as Corona Chan, which uh, it's not, because the Red Death was made, like, 150 years before internet memes. Uh, Kip's an idiot, I should say, when, when it comes to horror, at any rate, because he clearly doesn't know how to distinguish between, like, Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft and come to the obvious conclusion that that uh, Poe's a better author than Lovecraft. He's like, racism wasn't a big thing in the 30s, sarcastically, because I'm like, yeah, racism wasn't a big thing in the 30s compared to, like, the 1850s, uh, especially in the North, which is where Lovecraft was. Um, not, not that big, especially, like, in Massachusetts, around that area. Kip says... I hope you eventually grow out of whatever the hell phase you're currently in that defines your entire personality. Um, just lucky I'm not in my Lovecraft phase anymore, because that was actually a phase. I'm out of that phase now. I'm into my shitting on Lovecraft phase now. He's a lot of fun to shit on. Oh yeah, and then PF says... He never contributed anything to horror. What about From Beyond and In the Mouth of Madness and Cthulhu? Uh, first off, you know, right in the Mouth of Madness, that's a John Carpenter movie he wrote in the Mountains of Madness. He doesn't even spell Cthulhu right. I think that's pretty funny. But uh, essentially this is all just a bunch of, like, excuses and shit about Lovecraft is so... Lovecraft is so gosh darn. 
Lovecraft deserves to be excused because he was a product of his time because it was the 30s, man. It, it was the gosh darn 30s, and it was a different time, man. And like, no, racism's racism. I'm getting called as I see it. If someone has a bunch of the inward in their stories, then it's a bunch of the inward. It's a piece of shit. And uh, that's just how H.P. Lovecraft stories are. Not not just because they have the inward, but because they're overhyped trash. And this guy was not good at writing. So uh, just just to think that like people make excuses for this guy, it's flipping mental. Gonna post in the uh, Nicholas Memes channel a fun little Lovecraft meme I made. Um, comparing uh, Lovecraft and Poe, pretty pretty fun. I gave Lovecraft some eyeshadow and like an ear piercing and stuff. Check this out. Um, that's in the Necklace Comics channel. You got on one side Lovecraft being like, "My mind is set on overdrive. The clock is laughing in my face. The crooked spine, my sense is dulled. That's the point of delirium." And then you got uh, Edgar Allan Poe being totally awesome, being like, See amid the mimic route a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. Really cool. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's flipping awesome. Seriously, go read some Edgar Allan Poe. He's flipping... That guy's flipping great. Um, he's, he's flipping cool. But yeah, I think uh, Lovecraft was a shitty little emo, and uh, yeah, all his stories are shit. I'm going to come right out and say it. If if you've ever been in a Lovecraft phase, again, I'm not immune to it. I was in a Lovecraft phase for one myself. But get out of it, because you, you'll, you'll just grow out of it eventually, and the longer you're in it, uh, the more insufferable you get. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years. An angel throng, bewinged, bedight, in veils and drowned in tears. Sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes in the form of God on high mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly mere puppets they who come and go, at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. That motley drama, oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not, through a circle that ever returneth into the selfsame spot, and much of madness and more of sin and horror the soul of the plot. But see amid the mimic crowd a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. It writhes, it writhes, with mortal pangs the mimes become its food, and seraph sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form the curtain of funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy man, and its hero the conqueror worm. Lots of fun. I like the Conqueror Worm more than the Raven. I think the Raven is probably Edgar Allan Poe's most overrated work. Um, just because there's nothing scary in it. It's just a bird. And he just says he just says a woman's name over and over again. We don't even know what happened to Lenore. I think the Raven is pretty pretty stupid as far as that goes. But everything else at Grand Poe is great. His poems are really fun, like the Conqueror Worm. Um, just not the Raven. The Raven's the only one that I really 
can't can't good conscience get behind because anytime I'm ever, I ever mention Edgar Allan Pope, you're just like the Raven. You're talking about the Raven, right? He he wrote the Raven, and I'm like, yeah, but he wrote like so much more, so much cooler shit. Um, if you're into Dagon, you know, if you if you're into like the idea of uh, fish people or whatever, like this uh, underwater civilization, then check out Message Found in a Bottle by uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, it does everything Dagon or uh, the Sunken City does, but uh, with uh, more tact, more appeal, and uh, bet you know just better writing overall. Message Found in a Bottle is flipping cool, and Dagon isn't cool because stupid. It's a fish. It's a fish giant. It's so so stupid. Um, everything Lovecraft does is ripped off from Poe verbatim. You look at Message Found in a Bottle, same shit. Look at like a descent into the maelstrom, exactly the same type of stuff that Love Lovecraft would write, but with less flair and less panache and less like personality. It's so sad that anyone thinks that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft actually contributed anything to to horror overall, because he was forgotten until like until like 2010. I I don't think I've seen a single adaptation of his stuff besides. Uh, the Reanimator movie, and there's Pickman's model on Night Gallery. Besides from that, nobody knew who Lovecraft was, and nobody gave a shit. And it probably should have stayed that way, because he's so freaking annoying. He's so freaking stupid. Um, it, it's good that Edgar Allan Poe got the uh, acclaim and praise that he deserves, because it's so good. So many Poe stories are flipping awesome. Um... It said it's 421. I don't think we're going to have a trivia question this week because nobody's hopped on to ask any questions. Hopefully next week we can have Kippy on here to discuss Has Been a Hotel. Maybe I might bring up a Lovecraft and play the game where, you know, uh, someone will tell me something they think Lovecraft invented. I can cite an example of uh, Ed Grand Poe actually doing it first because um, he actually did do everything first. Like... Edgar Allan Poe pretty much founded the, the genre of American horror, um, the American horror story, the distinctly American short story, the short detective story, um, the novella, you know, he, he's really a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to pretty much every, every type of cool fiction. Some people say he, he, he started into early sci-fi, but I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, th I think... I think H.G. Wells should get the credit for that. Then again, there is there is a story from ancient Greece where some people traveled to the moon. Some people say is actually the first sci-fi story, and I I would not be surprised. I think I think the Greeks were pretty advanced, so I wouldn't put it past them to create uh, the first sci-fi story, as it were. And over the millennia, it just kind of got to be an abandoned genre. But yeah, I can imagine the Greeks being into some sci-fi. So that's pretty cool, much like the Antikythera mechanism, this story is really uh, anachronistic and very ahead of its time, so I think that's pretty awesome. What else is ahead of its time is frickin' Edgar Allan Poe's stories are flippin' so cool. And uh, unlike H.P. Lovecraft, he doesn't have this giant Arkham House publishing house to shill him and frickin' push him in your face. Um, you know, he just gets by because he's so, he's so cool and so awesome, and I think that's great. Um, doesn't need anyone to hype up, hype him up, you know. He doesn't need a PR manager. He just lives on because he has such a legacy, and his stories are so good. Um, I think that's really cool. Uh, 
Speaking of horror movies that you should watch this Halloween, I got some recommendations. I got some good sell recommendations. Uh, furthermore, since I don't endorse piracy, and a lot of you know horror movies, especially the good ones, can be hard to find on VHS, if you're looking for something specifically, if you just want a spooky watch, I mean, heck, go look for some VHSs. I'm sure there's something spooky on, on any VHS. And that's really the only way to watch horror movies, am I right? Especially like the Blair Witch Project or something. You want to see that shit on some VHS. Anyway, uh, well, with me not endorsing piracy and not endorsing streaming services, the only other option really is to watch horror movies that are in the public domain. And you might think this this would be hard, because not that many horror movies are in the public domain, not, not, not very many movies in general, but I got some suggestions. First off, Night of the Living Dead. Through a technical error, happens to be in the public domain. Who knows how it happened, but it's in the public domain, so check it out. Night of the Living Dead's flipping awesome. It's got Dwayne Jones and Judith O'Dea, and it's flipping good. Zomb a pure on zombie delight with the expertise and direction that only George A. Romero and his wacky crew can provide. Um, Romero's first movie, obviously the first definitive zombie movie. Great shit. Now the Living Dead's an absolute jam. Uh, my second suggestion. I saw this one recently. Carnival of Souls. Flipping bomb sauce. Carnival of Souls is so good. Uh, it's in the public domain, 100%. And this thing feels like a flippin', it, it's great. It's the 60s at its finest. It's the 60s at its peak. And I love finding obscure and weird uh, low-budget movies from the time, you know, before generally access to film and whatnot was acceptable. Because they give such a uh, better insight into the uh, period and, and, and whatnot. Carnival of Souls is really freaking good. So check out Carnival of Souls if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, good for you. You, you, know, where, you know where the money's at. Um, also, here it's at a lot of film festivals. Check Carnival of Souls out. Uh, third suggestion, Little Shop of Horrors. Can't go wrong with Little Shop of Horrors. Also in the public domain. And 100% no copyright restrictions on the thing. I guess just because, just like with Night of the Living Dead, you didn't bother to really register it. So, Carnival uh, of Souls, Night of the Living Dead, Little Shop of Horrors. Those are my public domain horror recommendations, and they're a lot of fun. They're all in black and white, but they're all really, really good. Um, check those out. They're, they're free on YouTube, they're free on VHS, they're probably free on DVD if you're into that for whatever reason, if you're insane. Um, yeah, so those are some good horror movies I, I can suggest. And I can't, I can't stress enough. I the Living Dead's flipping cool. Uh, it's it's the best zombie movie ever. I heard someone uh, on the server a while back, and they're like, "I'm sure Night of the Living Dead was scary for its time." And it's like, have you seen Night of the Living Dead? It's fucking horrifying. There's a, there's like a corpse and shit. It's just like flesh is melting and oozing off its bones. It's so gruesome and it's so so awesome. Um, but there's a lot of morons who are like, that's an old movie. I like the new zombie movies like 28 Days Later in World War Z with Brad Pitt. And uh, to them, I, I just gotta say, like, you don't know what you're missing if you, if you don't watch some George A. Romero shit, because he is a master of zombies. So good zombies. The first three of the uh, Dead Trilogy, so good. Not the ones after, but just Nightwing Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Those, those are the three best zombie movies ever made.
you got the Italian one, you got the Italian ones, zombie, with just an eye. But uh, I think George A. Romero really knows where it says that when it comes to zombies. A while back, I read a, uh, I read a comic that was like, I think, written by George A. Romero. And it was published through Marvel, but obviously being written by George A. Romero, you can't really go wrong with that. It was called um, Empire of the Dead. I think it was printed around 2010 because it came with like a introduction from Stanley before he died. Yeah, around like 20, 2009 or something. It was okay, but I I honestly think George A. Romero is better at uh, better at movies. It's interesting to see him foray into comics. Um, but overall, I think I think uh, his movies are better. A lot of people say that, like, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is good. And uh, to that I just say, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You think Zack Snyder is a competent director? Um, you're stupid. And, um, yeah, obviously he's not going to outdo George A. Romero. Because George A. Romero is just so flippin' good. So flippin' good at zombies. Uh, and I, I used to think zombies were pretty stupid. You know, I was like, this can't happen. This is scientifically implausible. Oh, but then I saw Idol and Dead, and I was like, oh my shit, zombies can be done well. Unfortunately, my first exposure to uh, zombies was seeing World War Z with Brad Pitt in theaters during its uh, theatrical run. So I just thought all zombie movies were like that, and I didn't even know that there was actually, like, good zombie movies that, that actually have some taste and class. And actually have, you know, treat the zombies like a legitimate threat. Uh, Nigh the Living Dead does for zombies what Dracula does for vampires. And, you know, it, it, it's on par with the Universal Monster movies. But it, it just gives the zombies their fair shake. I think that's really cool. Of course, my comic, Shane of the Undead. I'm on page 14 right now. I've got about six pages to go after this Q&A is wrapped up. I'll, uh right down to work we'll probably re hit page 16 today um obviously 20 pages and all that's some excellent really stellar art and uh i'm i'm glad to start drawing some zombies because they're fun to draw i never realized before just how fun it was to draw a good zombie but i mean they're 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 a blast to they're a blast to to draw they're a lot of fun to to sketch out and stuff because draw this straggling horde of corpses going brains urg they make a bunch of guttural noises and it's a lot of fun to sketch them out and really bring them to life really bring the zombies really bring the that zombie heat you know i think i think this is going to be pretty awesome shane of the undead is actually the first time i think i've ever drawn zombies in comic form so um you know i try i try and do them justice i give them some scraggly uh, scraggly clothes, and I give them some sharp teeth, and and messed up noses, and you know they look very uh, they look very intimidating and terrifying, and so um lo lots of fun drawing zombies is just a blast. I mean they're a lot of fun to sketch out and whatnot, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, gosh, what horror movies would I suggest that aren't uh, public domain? I've seen a lot of horror movies. I, I want to suggest some here, because, again, it's October. Part of the fun of horror movies is recommending some, because there's a lot of obscure ones. Um, I would suggest... Uh, I got recommended this one a while back, and it's pretty good. Um, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. It's from the 80s, and it's, it's a very 80s-type movie, but uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean... 
I was able to track down a copy of it on VHS. It's it's a good movie. It's pretty good. It's got a Linnea Quigley, and there's like a mall, and there's a little puppet, which I guess is trying to ride off the coattails of gremlins. Um, which else would I also recommend? Uh, Sorority Babes and Slimeball Bullorama, pretty good. Um, there's also... Uh, let me think. Lots of good horror movies out there. Not Black Christmas. I don't recommend Black Christmas to anyone. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pretty good. I recommend Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You haven't seen it. Uh, Willard, of course. Willard's pretty good. Um, anything by Roger Corman, obviously. Or uh, George A. Romero. Anything by Dario Argento, because Dario Argento brings the flippin' sauce. He brings that special sauce to every project. Uh, Four Flies on, on Velvet. Owen's good. Uh, opera's good. Uh, I'd suggest... I, I would suggest... Uh, I'd suggest the Giallo classics. Girl Who Knew Too Much. Blood and Black Lace. Uh, Italian cinema doesn't get enough clout. I think there's a lot of Italian horror movies that a lot of people haven't seen. Not necessarily even the Dario Argento ones. There's a lot of... Ontario ones that uh, go underlooked. Obviously, uh, Cannibal Holocaust can't 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 go a list of good horror movies without recommending Cannibal Holocaust. Absolute classic, to totally totally great. Um, gosh, what else would I recommend? There's a lot of obscure horror movies out there that don't get their fair shake. Uh, Creep Show, obviously. Who doesn't like Creep Show? Tons of fun. Creep Show is great. Check Creep Show if you haven't seen Creep Show. It's so so good. Uh, Creep, Creep Show is awesome. Got Leslie Nielsen, got Stephen King in one of his only acting roles, and also he writes it. So of course, it's flipping awesome. One of the best uh, crossover type movies I've ever seen. Uh, what else is there? Gosh, uh... oh, Duel with Josh Brolin. Not not a horror movie per se, but it is uh, absolutely excellent. It it displays a kind of technical competence. I don't think. Uh, you see that often in uh, movies, and just absolutely a jam. Oh, no, not Josh Brolin, Dennis Weaver. Sorry, Dennis Weaver uh, as David Mann in Duel. Uh, 1971, Steven Spielberg, freaking good. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, there's a similar one called uh, The Corror. The Corror is pretty fun. The Corror... Uh, is about a car that kills people. It's kind of like Christine, um, but it's not a ripoff of Christine. It's very different. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I recommend The Fly, both the Jeff Goldblum version and the original, obviously. Uh, the Thing's good. Uh, pretty much anything coming out for May 24, which includes, of course, Hereditary, Lighthouse, The Witch, all good stuff. Definitely the best of the 2010s. Uh... Gosh, what what else would I recommend? Um, I don't recommend Donnie Darko because that thing's an overrated piece of trash for emo hipsters. Um, uh, but Duel's good. Duel Duel is really good. Underrated shit. Du Duel's awesome. Uh, gosh, what what else? What else would I recommend? Uh, Rosemary's Baby, obviously. Classic stuff. Good stuff. Um, Got The Exorcist. Exorcist's good. I know there's some underrated ones I'm forgetting. Um, 
a lot of underrated horror movies that go under the radar. There's a... Uh... Gosh, what is there? I, I would definitely recommend, like... Yeah, anything by Roger... Oh, yeah, Night Train to Terror. I remember seeing Night Train to Terror on VHS. Gotta recommend it. Night Train to Terror is flipping hilarious. Um, it, it's, it's really bad, but it's, it's really, it's really wacky, too. Um, Night Train to Terror is, Night, Night Train to Terror is a movie that I feel like, it's, it's just something else. It's, uh, oh, I have one, one other recommendation. Let's give me the last one, 436. I'm going to talk about something else of this, but, uh, last one is Nomads with Pierce Brosnan. It is one of the light stupidest stupidest movies but i can't recommend it enough because it it's it's fantastic it's just fantastically weird it's got pierce brosnan so if you like remington steel james bond whatever you'll flipping you'll dig nomads it's flipping it's flipping just an, it's another thing let me, let me tell you nomads is flipping uh wacky so check nomads out uh that that's about that's about all I can think of at the moment, um, but yeah, that's my recommendations. As for some more movies, you can see the Carnival of Souls, uh, pretty good. Uh, obviously, any of the William Castle ones are also fun. House on Haunted Hill, you got the Tingler, you got Mister Sardonicus, Teen Ghosts, all that stuff's great. William Castle, um, good lineup there. Yeah, I re I recommend all of those. Um, Night Train to Terror is really really a the kind of movie you can only watch on VHS. Don't don't try it on DVD. It, you can you'll only enjoy it on VHS. I'm telling you, it, it it's the kind of movie that you can only watch on a VHS. Anyway, so those are my uh, horror movie recommendations. Um, lots of good lots of good stuff. Uh, I'm excited because I've entered quite a few Halloween film contests um, with a with a short little horror film of mine, which ties into a new anthology I'm releasing, which is 20 previously unpublished horror stories that have been posted at various places around the web. But I'm making them available now for the first time. Um, so that's pretty cool. And... Um, a lot of them are really good. I think the word count of all of them together goes like over 90,000 words. So I'm talking a very in-depth project that this has been. But um, I'm probably not going to release that this Halloween. Maybe next Halloween. I kind of want to string it out. Kind of present these as like lost gems that, you know, kind of have gone under the radar. I'm also not sure if I'm done completely with the collection yet. I might add on to it a little. Um, so that's exciting. The most exciting release, of course, is Shane of the Undead. I feel that every Halloween, I'm obligated to, you know, put out put out some Halloween output because I think Halloween's an awesome holiday. And I like Halloween, and I, and I like I like zombies and whatnot. And I think making fun of Shane of the Dead is a lot of fun. Really shitty movie. I look at the trailer, and it looks like a, a fake movie that you'd see before Tropic Thunder. It looks so freaking it looks so uh, overexposed and overproduced, and it just looks like the kind of shit that would not be funny under any circumstances. So to take that 
and make something genuinely funny out of it is a productive and exciting process. Taking Shaun of the Dead, which is a really horrible, trash zombie movie that nobody in the right Oops, it got unconnected for a bit there. Anyway, yeah, Shane of the Undead is an exciting experience. Um, some of the art is absolutely stellar. Like I said, I'm currently on page 14, but after this, this uh, Q&A is over, I'm going get right, to get right down to it. And uh, it's coming out this Halloween, the 31st. It's only the 9th, so I still have ample time to finish these last few. I think I got six pages left and make a back cover for it, put together a little uh, comic trailer for it, because as always, I like I like dropping a trailer along with my uh, comic releases. And Shane of the Undead started out as just like an inside joke. You know, I, I'd write in this funny fake British accent, uh, or f funny fake British dialect here on the server and, and pretend to be Shaun of the Dead. And then I just thought, why well, make a comic out of it? You know, because... I'm really good at, at making this fake British dialect. Um, I, I think everyone will be able to get a good chuckle out of Shane of the Undead. Um, unless you're from Britain, in which case it'll probably offend you. But then again, there's lots of British comics, like I said last week, like Desperate Dan, uh, which are offensive to me as an American. So I think it's fine for me to make an offensive uh, comic about Britain with every British stereotype. In one scene, they go to a fish and chip shop. Um, in one part, they they visit the London Underground, which is actually the sewage pipe. I try and stuff in a lot of fun references and clever stuff like that. Uh, if you're Irish, you'll flip and dig this comic, because I, mean, I, I don't mean Northern Irish. I mean, you know, Ireland, Ireland, actual real... 100% real Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, not 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 the fake Ireland, but um, yeah, I, I I think it's so weird how some people have problems distinguishing between like the real country and like the fake puppet country that's set up next to the real country. Like with the North and South Vietnam, there was the moron in the server was like, there were two sides and South Vietnam was just as valid a, a part of Vietnam as North Vietnam. It totally wasn't a fucking puppet government arranged by the U.S. to, to, to introduce foreign capitalist values to Vietnam. Um, and it's the same with Ireland. Like I've had some people, like I'll say Ireland, and obviously I mean like actual Ireland, um, sovereign Ireland, the Republic, you know, and, uh, like, some morons, like, which Ireland do you mean? And I'm like, I mean Ireland. I don't mean British Ireland. I mean actual, real Ireland. You know, the independent part um, that's not British and is not part of the United Kingdom. I can't, I can't, I can't praise the Republic of Ireland enough. What, a, what an awesome country. They're, they're pulling ahead. They're, they're, just, they're just slapping it so hard. They're totally acing it. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're from uh, the Republic of Ireland, you'll flip and... You'll, you won't be able to get enough of Shane of the Undead, because I really dump on the British in here. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, I dump on Britain, I dump on the British royal family. Good stuff. If you're French, you'll like it. Um, and, of course, if you speak English, because I haven't gotten around to making a French or, or a Spanish translation of any of my comics yet. That's still on the way. Hopefully in 2022 I, I can uh, start rolling those out. Um, but Chain of the Undead is looking flippin' awesome.
I've had a lot of people come at me like, Oh man, you're a xenophobe because you don't like Britain. It's like, you know, I, I, I have the right to not like a country if I don't like a country's policies. And I'm, I'm not attacking everyone in Britain. There's plenty of decent people in Britain who wish they had a sane and stable 21st century democracy like everyone else. Those aren't the people I'm after. Those are... Those are the decent British fellows. Who I'm after are the monarchists and the royalists and the fellows who perpetuate this unhealthy system of governance because I think it's important to call out when a country has an unhealthy system of governance that doesn't benefit its people, represses its people's rights. And I just find it so funny that these same people who call me a xenophobe just because I don't like Britain are like simultaneously shitting all over Vietnam and China. And it's like, you're a fucking racist. Like, can you just come out and say it that you don't like me because I'm hating on a country that you like that's white and capitalist, and meanwhile you're shitting on all the Asian countries? I don't think these numbskulls are honest enough to, to like, be blunt with that, but that's what it is. They're just hating on the Asian countries, and then I say something about Britain, and they're like, You're a xenophobe! You're, you're, you're a racist! I'm the racist for hating on Britain, which is a Caucasian country. I'm white. Britain's white. How's it racist? Doesn't even make any sense. But I tell you, there's so many people who get offended if I make a humorous joke about tea and crumpet, which is just absurd. It's a good-natured jab. It's not like I'm... It's not like... Like, Britain would be a cool country if it had if it had a good system of government. But as it is, it's controlled by tyrants. And that's not good. And I'm not going to support that. One of the reasons I was banned from the Encyclopedia server, apparently, or one of the justifications that was given after I was banned from there, is that I made fun of Prince Philip after he died. As if, I, as if I'm demanded to respect this fucking prince like this literal fucking monarch it's like if an if a nazi dies i'm not gonna be sad about it same with the prince i'm not gonna be sad about these these systems governance or shit i'm not gonna be sad when a fascist dies i'm not gonna be sad when a monarch dies because as far as i can tell pretty much the same thing both have an obscene amount of power and control over their country that they don't deserve. They're not doing anything important. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be badgered into respecting Prince Philip or Prince Charlie or Prince Ronnie or any of these other princes. I don't even know the names of the princes. There's so many freaking princes or the queen. I'm not going to respect Maggie Thatcher just because someone's like, Hey, you should respect Maggie Thatcher. Oh, you should respect freaking... Philip Roth, or whoever, all these freaking Philip Roth, Prime Minister, I don't know. Eric Blair, or Arthur Blair, or, Eric, or George Orwell, or all these freaking British fellows. Like, jeez. Not all British fellows are worthy of praise. Some are legitimately scummy, especially if they're in Parliament or the royal family, you know? They're hoping to perpetuate this freaking unreliable system of governance and that's not good anyway yeah so Shane of the Undead is coming out it's going to be a freaking cool uh, parody of how the British government is run which is pretty awesome also of course I address the fact that a lot of British fellows are racist and misogynist I, I put that in there 
because Shane and his pal Eb, the two main characters, are really stupid and really backwards and don't understand that the world has moved on without them, and they're kind of relics of another time, so to speak. The comic opens up during one of their infamous pub crawls, which is a common staple of the Edgar Wright film. Uh, I suppose this is a, a time-honored British pastime, wherein you go to every bar in town in one night because you're so depressed about your standard of living. Um, which makes sense, you know. You got the Irish pubs, and they're all jolly and happy, and then you got the British pubs, and they're all sad and forlorn. Um, which is pretty good. Anyway... All five of the uh, VHS copies of the Orwellians and Vice are still 100% available, ready to go. Um, they're not shrink-wrapped. When I say shrink-wrapped, I just mean factory-direct, meaning they were printed onto 100% blank tapes with nothing on them before that. So it's not like I'm going down to the thrift store and buying second-hand copies of Bible Man and uh, recording over that. But when I say shrink-wrapped, I mean it's 100% freshly sealed, fresh non-recorded onto blanks um from your your favorite brands you can you can get a uh, sony brand universal brand maxell brand i got all the, your favorite vhs brands in one big uh package and also the other thing is that uh they're all recorded onto extended play meaning that they're slightly less there's slightly less resolution than standard play but for that you get five plus hours of entertainment because I think that's an important and underrated feature of VHS extended play look does not look that bad and for six hours absolutely worth it um, back in the day you know when you, when you record some TV um, extended play is the way to go if you want to record like a long broadcast or the Super Bowl or something um, so that's pretty awesome. It's great to be able to record onto VHS, because it's such a great medium. And, of course, if you, if you order VHS, it's not shipped in an envelope. I go down to the post office and buy up a package and get it get it uh, stamped and everything. And uh, I don't do express delivery. I just do standard, you know, normal normal delivery. But, um... I think they have to, they have to do something special with, like... They have to they they have to make sure that it doesn't go through any magnets or anything, you know, because that can mess the tape up. Um, there's some machines that mail goes through during shipping that would like magnetize it or whatever. Oh yeah, one more movie suggestion I gotta make because this is a really great movie. It's got Jack Black and uh, Danny Glover. It's called Be Kind Rewind, and it's about VHS tapes. And Jack Black plays this like mutant who like demagnetizes a bunch of VHS tapes and messes them up. It's pretty funny. Underrated, too. I don't know why no one talks about Be Kind Rewind. It's a great movie. Um, I, hope, I hope I find it on VHS sometime. Anywho, uh, I think that's going to do it roughly. It's 4.51. And, uh... Yeah, I'm looking forward to Halloween, because Halloween I always try and pump out as much content as possible in the month of October. I'm switching up this, this year. I'm, I'm entering some actual, like, official film festivals and stuff. I have a real cool uh, short film that's kind of surreal, and I make use of analog horror, and uh, I, got, I got my VHS ready and raring to go. Um, oftentimes, I feel there's too much shit these days that tries to look old-fashioned with analog 
and just slaps like a VHS filter on top, and it's the most obvious shit, um, and none of it looks real. So I go with the real shit. I record onto VHSs. I I take the time out to actually dedicate myself to the authentic look, because at the end of the day, nothing looks like a VHS but a VHS. And if you want to make some analog horror, I mean, you got you gotta at least invest in a VCR. Um, that's what I suggest. You know, everyone's talking about a great local 58 is. Oh, local 58 so amazing. Local 58 so good. Um, but you know, really, I mean, nothing beats nothing beats the look of an authentic VHS. I don't think local local 58 is recorded onto authentic VHS. I I know a lot of these new analog horror series aren't. I think I mean maybe local 58 is, but I know I know Gemini Home Entertainment is. I mean I know I know it isn't or if it is it uses CGI that wasn't available back at the time that Gemini Home Entertainment supposed to take place so it really breaks your immersion too much CGI. Um, now there's the fucking Warren files, which don't even get me started on that. You got this fucking crappy Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff, but there's like ten videos made about it. It doesn't even look like shit that would exist, because believe it or not, CGI animated characters were not popular in the fucking 1970s, especially not for like a pizza restaurant. You you barely had computer animation at, like, MIT back in the 1970s. They just have some puppets or some shit, you know? You wouldn't have frickin' CGI characters. That's just totally anachronistic and breaks your immersion 100%. I think this... I think as it gets further and further away from Local 58, the standard just really drops. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that there are a lot of small horror movies on VHS that were intentionally made for VHS during the time that VHS was popular, and while you might not call them analog horror because analog horror is a retrospective term, uh, referring exclusively to things we now consider analog, which back in the 90s were considered pretty digital and state-of-the-art, but um, there's lots of stuff that is like found footage and is like Local 58 or Gemini Home Entertainment, but is actually from the 90s and recorded onto actual VHS, and intended just to be freaky and scary. You can you can find quite a few mystery tapes that are designed specifically to unsettle you. If you if you look far enough, you can find some unsettling shit on VHS. I'm just gonna leave that out there because a lot of people don't respect VHS enough. But let me tell you, there's nothing scarier than getting an anonymous creepy video on VHS. Um, there's also a lot of content on VHS you cannot find on YouTube. So, you, again, VHS is the way to go. And if you want, if you want to see some of my uh, movies and videos on VHS, then check that out. Because all five tapes are still ready to go. I got Maxell. I got Sony. I got Universal. I think I only have one of one of them because there's five tapes. I think yeah, like two Maxells and two Sonys and one Universal or some kind of way. So. Um, if that if that piques your interest, then write to Nicholas Cicada, 1424 Columbine Street, number one, Denver, Colorado, 80206. Uh, they might they they might sell out soon, so you want to get your hands on some. I'll always make more um, if there's enough demand, but initially just five copies. I figure that's 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 a decent starting batch. 
And uh, the really great thing about them is they come with a nifty little booklet. Um, so if you're into Vice or the Orwellians, because the Orwellians is also on this tape, then check that out. Other than that, though, Shane of the Undead is looking pretty gosh darn spicy, and it'll be it'll be a real blast to add it to the Nicholas Comics catalog, and uh, it, it's gonna be fun because it's it's full of zombies, it's full of the undead, and it's gonna terrorize you because they come out of their graves and they start eating brains, they start wanting those internal organs, they start wanting to gnaw into your stomach, you know, they're flesh eaters. It's pretty awesome. And like I said, drawing zombies is a lot of fun. I never imagined how much fun it'd be. For, for some reason, drawing zombies is just great. Um, maybe maybe it's just because of the way I draw them or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's currently 4.57. And uh, that's about it for this week. Went over the metric system a bit. Went over Poe versus Lovecraft. Recommended some horror movies. Um, and, of course, any upcoming releases I have, always always discussed here on the Nicholas Comics Q&A. Um, you know, c catch you up to speed about what's uh, what's going on uh, over here. And, uh, earn that, not much. I got, I got, like I said, got a full video on Lovecraft coming out this Halloween, half an hour. It goes over some of the same points I, I went over in this episode. But, uh, uh, also... Uh, this October, I'm going to do a top five list of The Outer Limits. So, if you're a big fan of The Outer Limits, and look forward to that. My uh, Night Gallery video from last year has done incredibly well, so I figure it'll be nice to make a, a little, like, comp a little compilation uh, of, like, anthology lists each each October. Um, next, next year, I'll probably be doing, like, Tales from the Dark Side, or... The, the new Outer Limits or something like that, because I think there's a lot of anthology series that uh, deserve a top ten list and don't have one, and I think that's really unjust, because I think four anthology series are pretty epic. Anywho, it's 4.58, and that's going to do it for this week. Nobody wins a free comic, no trivia question. Go on with free comic hop on next week, and uh, hopefully Kippy comes on next week to discuss Has Been Hotel, one of the worst cartoons ever made still still holding out hope for a, a kippy appearance this season um because his arguments are just something else for this for this cartoon about freaking bisexual demons and stuff it's flipping wild anyway that's gonna do it for this week uh sayonara suckers it might public infrastructure is dead you know it baby public infrastructure is dead who are we kidding? Public infrastructure is dead. Do you Don't want to be on the head? show? Don't look Join the Nicholas Cavs Everybody's Discord server today. On the I'll A answer track, any questions you have. You can appear the in the next track. episode. Do you want to buy oh, Nicholas Cavs? Yeah. Right too. Nicholas did. Get 1424 Columbine Street, number one, Denver, Colorado, 802-206. Thanks for tuning in.